I invite you to turn tonight to, to Proverbs chapter 26. We are working through Proverbs more thematically than we are uh, in order, hence the fact that we're already in Proverbs 26. Um, focused on the theme of, of friendships and relationships. We, we began last week, uh, or two weeks ago, Joe taught on the characteristics of a good friend. And today we are going to think about how to destroy relationships. Not because we want you to know how to do that in order to do it, but because we want to avoid that. You know, the reality is most things can be destroyed much faster than they can be built. If you have young children, you've seen this, you know, one child spends time building a little block tower or something and how quickly that can be destroyed and with such anguish uh, by a sibling or those things. Um, you know, perhaps one of the most vivid depictions of this is the destruction of Hiroshima during World War II. One bomb and 60,000 of its 90,000 buildings were destroyed. You know, the, the, the ability to destroy something so quickly when it takes such work and time and effort to build it. And, and that's true of human relationships. You know, it takes time and intentionality to build them, but they can very easily be destroyed. And so we want to both cultivate the characteristics of good friends, things like we learned last week, bringing wise counsel to one another, having candor and, and appropriate frankness that's coupled with encouragement and building up, being constant and loyal and, and loving. And we also want to be careful that we are not doing the things that tear down or destroy relationships. Now, obviously, there's more things that destroy relationships than we can consider tonight. But I want us to look at a, a section of Proverbs that really highlights uh, the, these realities in, in a number of different ways for us. Now, again, there's many places in Proverbs where it says things like, in chapter 11, verse 9, with his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor. And so there's the reality that we can easily destroy others and, and Proverbs 26 is gonna help us to think about ways that can happen. Now this is a section, if you look back at chapter 25, verse one, which is, is Proverbs of Solomon, which it says the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. So these are a section that was compiled by those connected to Hezekiah. And chapter 26 focuses on different categories of people. If you read through the first 12 verses, you will see them speak, him, him speaking of, of a fool. And so these were compiled Put together thematically, verses 1 through 12 speak often of what, is, what are the characteristics and realities of someone who is rightly described as a fool. Verses 13 to 16 shift the focus to someone who is a sluggard, someone who is, who is lazy, who does not do the things that are proper and fitting and does not do them with diligence. In the rest of the chapter, it speaks of certain kinds of people, a contentious man, a, a whisperer, or a gossip, but it, it broadens from just describing one kind of person to, to the kinds of things that people do that hinder or destroy relationships. And so tonight we're going to note five characteristics 
of those who destroy relationships. Five, five ingredients if you wanna, wanna tank a, a relationship or a friendship. Not all have to be present, obviously, but things that we wanna be careful to avoid and to recognize at the very beginning when we're tempted in those ways and things that we wanna train our children to think rightly about and to respond rightly in. Look at verse 17 is where we'll begin through the end of the chapter. It says, like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. The first characteristic of a, a relationship destroyer is somebody who works to insert yourself into the issues of other people's lives that do not pertain to you. He, the, these Proverbs paint vivid pictures. This one is somebody who grabs their dog by the ears. Now, I don't know how many of you have dog. Uh, we, we have a dog, and uh, our dog's actually had some issues with her paw uh, the last couple of days, one of her, her little claw things or whatever there. And, um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, whatever. Um, and, uh, and so it's required me holding my dog while my wife does things to trim or spray or wrap or whatever we can do. And my dog is not excited about that. You know, so I'm holding this dog and at first, you know, she'll kind of look at me like, are you loving me? And then it goes downhill from there pretty quickly to where it's about. Thankfully, it's a little dog. But if I were to grab that dog by the ears, and in this case, they, there weren't a lot of domesticated dogs, so a wild dog by the ears, that's going to end poorly. And that's the picture he wants us to have in our mind. It's, it's somebody who is doing something foolish that's going to end poorly. And what person is that, he says? Well, it, it is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. That, that word metal, it, it's really broader than just kind of getting engaged in something. It's, it's the idea of, of cultivating anger or being upset. In fact, the marginal notes there uh, actually say it it's literally infuriates himself. Someone who gets, gets upset themselves about something that's really not in, in something that belongs to them. You know, I think the picture is, is getting involved in a situation on the spur of the moment, essentially, someone who's passing by. This is not something that you've thought carefully about, but engaging in a situation that, that is, is something you don't really understand what is involved, and you don't have an appropriate relationship in order to be involved. And you're getting involved in something that has strife or contention. You know, the reality is, as much as we may want to, we can't always solve other people's problems. And if we try in, in situations that we ought not be connected to, we will sometimes end up ruining every relationship that's involved. And this doesn't mean that there aren't times when the Bible calls us because of our role to actively engage in the issues of other people's lives. This is not a verse about parenting that says, hey, when your kids are fighting and you pass by, whatever you do, don't engage with them. <laughs> like, no, don't take it that way. It's not saying that in, in the context of a proper role and relationship, ignore the issues that are around. No, it, you know, as a, as a fellow Christian, as a, a friend who is frank that we saw last time, there are times where it's right to engage, but this is somebody who is, is, does not have the understanding or the appropriate relationship to be involved. 
Again, this does not mean that we never get involved, but it means we are careful and we think about the, the uh, appropriateness of our engagement or involvement in seeking to be a peacemaker in others' lives. You know, if you want to build relationships, you need to be engaging with people and pursuing people and pursuing a relationship with them. This proverb warns us, on the other hand, you do in some ways need to stay in your own lane in an appropriate way as well. You know, again, our kids, as we think of this, can struggle in this way, not necessarily meddling in, in the strife of others, but if your kids are like mine as they grow, they will be keenly aware of the issues in their siblings and want to deal with that, and different ones in different ways. And so part of our training for them is to say, you know what, there are times when it's appropriate for you to be engaged in things, and there are times where it's not. You need to let your mom and your dad be mom and dad. You are not in that role. And so if we want to destroy relationships, we can try to take ownership of everyone else's problems and engage in every possible way, and we will spoil things. But if we want to build relationships, we're going to be careful and intentional in doing that in a way that is wise and appropriate. A second characteristic of a relationship destroyer is not simply someone who's a meddler in other people's issues, but someone who, secondly, never takes responsibility for the hurt you cause. Notice verse 20, or verse 18. He says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. Again, think of that picture. This is a, the crazy guy who's throwing arrows and, and bombs. You know, the guy lobbing grenades. You know, I mean, that's the picture, not, a, not what we want to be characterized by. And he says, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? Again, the picture, think of it, is, is one who does great harm. The crazy guy leaving a wake of destruction in his path. And, and, and it's, it's compared to someone who it says deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? Now that word for deceive is broader than just someone who is deceptive, someone who lies, although certainly that's a part of it and, and part of the thrust. It, it's really broader. It can mean to desert or to abandon, to betray. So it's a, a broader category of, of someone who harms a neighbor. And they say, after they have harmed this neighbor through deception or betrayal or in some way, oh, I was only joking. I didn't really mean anything by it. <laughs> Rather than what? Genuinely taking responsibility for their sin, acknowledging it as sin, confessing the sin, and turning from it. Now you may say, well, that's not, that's not me. I don't, I don't go around lobbing grenades on people. But do we own and take responsibility for the hurt and the wrong that we have done to others? Or do we have an excuse to minimize our sin? It's so easy to excuse our sin. To, to say things like, oh, you just took it the wrong way. I, I don't I mean that. <laughs> minimize it. There's a great example of this in our, our culture with, uh, uh, you might, if you're a baseball fan, you might have seen the Astros made the World Series and in the celebration, their assistant general manager said some things that were, were very inappropriate and crass and, and the response to that was basically to kind of minimize it. Oh wait, we didn't mean, he didn't mean that, it's fine. I was only joking. So 
Guys, so often we destroy relationships not simply by what we do to hurt the other person, but by how we respond when we do so. I want you to think about that. I'm gonna say it again. So often we destroy relationships not simply by what we do to hurt the other person. We're sinners. We're gonna do things that are sinful towards others, but that relationship is destroyed because of how we respond when we do. You see, the picture of one who does great harm, lobbing grenades and leaving a wake of destruction, it's not simply because of the deception, according to this verse. It's because of the response to and the excuse-making that comes from that. Guys, if you have sinned against your spouse, or if you have sinned against your child, or you sin against a friend or a neighbor, and you own that sin and you admit that it is sin, and you confess that sin, and you repent of that sin, and you pursue righteousness, that relationship can be restored, and it can move forward in a way that is healthy and godly. But if you sin, and instead of owning it, and confessing it, and and acknowledging it, and repenting from it, instead you make excuses, and you blame shift and you minimize, that relationship is only going to continue to deteriorate. Yes, we need to be so careful not to excuse or minimize the things that we have done, not to joke about the things that we have done that are sinful and hurt others, and we need to teach our children to do the same. To call sin, sin. To to own it as sin. This, This takes humility, but it also gives hope. You know, when we sin and we own that sin, there's the reality that we can be forgiven and we can grow and God can change us. But if we just minimize it and and ignore it, we're gonna continue in those patterns of life. Relationship destroyers meddle in in the the business of others that doesn't pertain to them or is not appropriate for them and and they don't own their sin. They, They make excuses for their sin, failing to take responsibility for the harm that they have done. A third way to destroy relationships in verses 20 to 22 is to give yourself to grumbling and gossip to help stir up strife. To give yourself to grumbling and gossip to help stir up strife. Again, a vivid picture, verse 20 says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. Can picture a, a campfire or, or some situation like that. And, and if that fire is burning down, what do you do when you want it to get roaring again so you can warm yourself? Well, you throw another log on the fire and, and it burns brightly again and, and you add fuel to that fire. He says, when there's a lack of wood, the fire goes out. In the same way, verse 20 says, and where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. Where, where there's no, no whisperer, somebody who, who grumbles and complains. Some versions translate it as a, as a gossip, where there's not a gossip. Somebody who's talking about others in a negative way, often involving grumbling and complaining. He says, without grumbling and complaining, without a gossip, contention or strife, discord in relationships will do what? It will go down. <laughs> But, verse 21, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. 
Some of you have, have undoubtedly experienced this, maybe in, in your extended family, where there's somebody who just keeps stirring the pot and keeps stirring the fires of contention between family members. Rather than, than responding as a peacemaker, rather than keeping their perspective themselves, they're constantly grumbling and complaining about other people and gossiping about them and stirring things up among people. Or maybe you have somebody in your workplace or, or a past experience like that. You guys, any time that we are grumbling and complaining, gossiping about others, we are sowing the seeds of contention and strife. We are, we are ultimately undermining and destroying relationships and ultimately destroying ourselves. You know, strife can be dying down in a family or between friends. And how do you get that roaring again? <laughs> A little bit of grumbling about that person, a little complaining, a little gossip, and, and those fires can come back to the surface. Okay, so those are so destructive, but how tempting it is to listen and participate in those things, to make excuses for why. You know, we're just, we're just talking about how, how to handle it. Well, maybe there's a point and a place for that, but, but sometimes that can just be an excuse to talk negatively about other people. You know, I'm just trying to get help to think rightly about it. Maybe, but is that an appropriate conversation for us to have? We need to be so careful. He says, it's very tempting. Notice the words he uses in verse 22. He says, the words of a whisperer or gossip, the, those complaining and grumbling words are like dainty morsels. It's like, ooh, yeah, yummy. I like those. Those taste good. Little dainty morsels. No big deal. No, but they they. they are destructive, he says, and they go down to the innermost parts of the body. Not, not entirely sure what uh, commentators are, uh, have some different perspectives on what that may mean. I think it, it may just mean that those words, that, that gossip, that complaining and grumbling, it, it goes down into our hearts and, and it bears fruit in how we think and how we respond. It affects us. Changes our perspective. It has an impact on us and on relationships. Few things ruin relationships like starting to talk to others about that person in a negative way, grumbling or complaining or gossiping. Again, it may, it may very actively destroy that relationship, but it also just changes how we think about other people. It may be true, all the stuff about them, but if you start grumbling and complaining to others, what happens? Well, now you're thinking about it all the time. There, Oh yeah, that's terrible. And, and, it, and it just feeds that. Instead of responding in a godly way, it feeds us to, to continue to dwell on those things. Again, this starts with us, but certainly this is something we want to cultivate in our kids as well. What's the opposite of, of a, a whisperer? It's, it's somebody who's cultivating a grateful heart. Somebody who, who is seeking to believe the best about others. Somebody who's, whose mouth is, is careful about what they say about others. Again, in, in all of these, there are, there are positive things that we should be practicing. That we, we, There are right times to talk about issues and right times to seek counsel and right times to engage others. But it's very easy to simply be stirring strife if we are not not careful. Be careful that we are not quick to, to grumble, quick to gossip, to stir up strife. 
A fourth characteristic of relationship destroyers is, is this. It's to say nice things to people's face while cultivating hatred in your heart. One commentator said, in contrast to the, the quarreler that we've just seen who stirs up strife and conflict with their grumbling and, and gossip, in this case, the deceiver is trying to smooth it over with lies. Notice verse 23 says, like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross. Picture a, a clay pot. How, how valuable is a clay pot that has like a little silver glaze over it so it looks all fancy and nice, but really it's just a clay pot. He says, that's like someone with burning lips and a wicked heart. What does he mean by that? Well, he continues in verse 24 and says, he who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. You see, this is somebody whose heart towards another person is not right. It's filled with hatred. It's, it's deceptive in what it's communicating. The reality is not coming forth in their words. He says they have seven abominations in their heart. We're, we're not sure exactly what those abominations are. There's a, other abominations listed in Proverbs 6, like a haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans. He may be referring to some of those same things. But the point is, this person's heart is wicked and, and, and uh, full of hate towards this other person, but their lips don't speak that way. They, they speak graciously. They're, they're disguising what's going on in their heart with their lips. And verse 26 says, though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. It's a picture of, of, of the fact that at some point, the true reality of this person's heart is going to be made known. Now, maybe that's just because they can't keep it in anymore and it kind of bubbles over. It may be that this person is waiting to be in a, in a setting where they can really backstab this person in the assembly that, ah, now I can really, really hurt this person because there's lots of witnesses and things that we could talk about. But either way, that, that heart is ultimately going to come forth. And the result, verse 27 says, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. You know, this section is, is thematically compiled, so I don't think this is just a random verse in the middle of this chapter that's warning you about digging holes and rolling stones. <laughs> I, I, I think there is some wisdom in that. We, uh, we've rolled big stones at my house before, and it is dangerous that they can come back on you. And if you've dug a pit, a hole, you've probably almost stepped in it at times. But that's not the point. <laughs> The point is, this person is seeking to, to uh, uh, or hate someone and is ultimately going to be doing harm to them in, in that coming forth, but ultimately they're doing harm to themselves. They're digging this pit, they're rolling a stone, and it's going to come back on them. You see, you can be careful not to say things, but if you are thinking them and cultivating an angry, hateful, bitter heart, even though you have the self-control not to say it to the person's face, 
it will ultimately destroy that relationship and it will, it will destroy you, it will eat you up as well. Your spiritual life will be destroyed. It will come back to hurt you as much or more as it hurts that other person. So what's the lesson for us in this? I think one of them is, is simply that we should not just focus on saying the right words to others. We should. It doesn't mean, hey, if it's on your heart, you might as well say it because you don't want to be like that guy in Proverbs who's, who's got two different things. No, it, it means if, if you have wrong thoughts and wrong attitudes in your heart, don't say them, but don't stop there. Work on changing and cultivating the right attitudes of your heart. It's not enough just to speak kindly and graciously if that flows out of a deceptive heart of hatred. Again, this is one of the challenges of, of our life and our hearts to be intentionally cultivating a right heart toward people, not just the appearance of right outward interaction. But it's also a challenge with our kids because we can't change their heart, right? And if we're not careful, we can easily train up children who are exactly this, <laughs> who hate people, and yet who have been trained that this is what you say. I mean, I think of like, uh, of, uh, of uh, a picture of like one of my kids when they do something mean to their sibling. And what's, what's our typical response? It's like, hey, that's, that's not okay. You can't treat them that way. And nothing has changed in their heart. They hate them in that moment. And we say something like, well, you need to tell them that you're sorry and you need to make it right. And again, I think there's a, an appropriateness to training in some of those ways. And so what do they do? Well, they got a scowl on their face and they're like, if mom wasn't here, I would like punch you or take your stuff or I'd do what I would, but I'm sorry, you know, um, I, I, I shouldn't have done that. And it's like, well, yeah, you, good job. You, you've, you've repaired that relation, you know? And so if we're not careful, we can, we can communicate that the only thing that matters is that you go through the outward motions and say the right things to cultivate a relationship. This proverb says, no, that's, that's one, ultimately your heart's gonna show, and that's not true godly relationships. We need to help them see that it's not just about the outward, it's about the inward, it's about the heart. And so we shepherd them and cultivate their heart. Now in that, they will see the reality that I can say the right words, mom, but I can't change my heart. I can't love my sister. And that's what leads us to the gospel. That's what, why we need Christ and, and only God can change our hearts. God knows our hearts. He knows the depths of wickedness that we, that we have, and yet he loved us and sent his son for us. We will destroy relationships, even though we think we're keeping them intact when we say nice things to people's face while cultivating hatred in our hearts. And a fifth and final one that we, we uh, touched on a little bit last time, verse 28, says, a lying tongue hates those it crushes and a flattering mouth works ruin. You will destroy relationships and I will destroy relationships when we use our words to get what we want even if they hurt others and are not true. A lying tongue hates those it crushes and a flattering mouth works ruin. Why, why in this context is somebody lying? Well, flattery, that form of lying that, that is puffing someone up in order to get the response that you desire to get what you want. 
I'll, I'll puff you up, I'll say what you wanna hear so that what comes back to me from you is what I desire. And he says, ultimately, those things are, are gonna crush someone. They're going to work ruin in a relationship, even though it may hurt others or it's not true, using our words to try to get what we want. Again, it's so, we're, we're so good at this, <laughs> at, at manipulating people with our words. You know, you don't have to teach your kids how to do this. <laughs> you don't have to give them a class and, hey, here's how to, how to use words to manipulate others. They just can do it and we can do it and we gotta be so careful <laughs> that we are speaking the truth <laughs> and that we are speaking the truth with the desire for the, the good of others. Not using our words for our sake, but as Ephesians 4 says, to, to build up, to give grace to those who hear. Guys, the reality is building relationships is difficult. The characteristics of a godly friend that we heard about two weeks ago do not come naturally to us as sinful people. We have to work diligently to cultivate those things and even then, good relationships take time to develop. And yet we can so quickly destroy or undermine those relationships. You know, in, in closing, I want you to think with me about the, the, the circles of relationship that are in your life. Think first about your marriage. You know, your, your closest friendship. These are not verses specifically about marriage, but think about the, the, the context of that relationship, of, of uh, the ways that you can subtly destroy and erode that relationship by doing things like never taking responsibility for the hurt that you caused by not owning your sin, genuinely confessing it, not making excuses, not blame shifting and twisting, by, by not complaining and grumbling about your spouse, whether that's just in your own head or whether that's with other people, stirring up contention and strife, whether that's saying nice things to them when your heart's not in it and just stopping there and being glad that, well, I'm glad I didn't say what I was really thinking. Instead of saying, I shouldn't be thinking what I'm thinking and I need to battle to think rightly. Or using your words, not to edify and build up, but to manipulate and get what you want. You know, think about how you interact with your kids in those ways. You know, we, we may not struggle in those same ways with our kids, but taking responsibility for our sin before our children, owning our sin, not complaining to them, about them, about others, that we shape their thinking about others when we complain and grumble. Just being careful in these ways and then broadening out to all of our other relationships. Because let's be careful. Let's be careful understanding how powerful most of these come back to our words are in the destruction of relationships. And let's be intentional from the time our kids are young, not to, to stand in judgment on them, how could you do that? No, but to say, hey, this is how we are prone to respond. And God's word warns us about these things and we want us to have soft hearts to his word and we want to treat people in the way that God has treated us. Learning how to be careful in the cultivation of relationship and how to be careful to avoid destroying them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this powerful passage 
that reminds us of how easy it is to be consumed with ourselves in the context of relationships with others and, and to do things as a practice that are so destructive to the cultivation of godly relationships. Lord, I, I pray that we would see our own sin clearly. And Lord, in each of these areas, we've all been guilty at times. And, and I pray that we would uh, be quick to recognize these in our own life and, and to respond in, in humility and repentance. And I pray that you'd give us wisdom with our kids. Lord, help us not just to uh, train them externally to, to go through the motions of of cultivating godly relationships while at the same time allowing them to breed hearts that will destroy them. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us wisdom to shepherd our kids well. Lord, we can't change their heart. We are desperate for you to do that work and, and yet we want to be faithful to bring your word to bear on, on their life and, and to help them see their need for Christ and, and, and the, the opportunity that they have to to live in a way that is consistent with your wisdom as revealed in your word. Lord, give us grace to that end. Give us wisdom and spur us on to that now as we head to our groups for discussion. In Christ's name, amen.